Joe Craycon. Hi there, and welcome to episode four of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks very much to all of you who have taken the time to listen to the first three episodes, and to those who've been in touch with criticisms, comments, suggestions, and so on. I might even take some of it on board at some point. Each episode of this podcast embarks on some in-depth analysis of an episode of Jonathan Creek, and today we arrive at Series 1, Episode 4, No Trace of Tracy. By now you've probably realised that in order to get much at all out of this pod, you really ought to watch the episode in question beforehand. When I started recording this podcast, all episodes were available on the BBC iPlayer, in the UK at least, but recently our national broadcaster has taken the very helpful decision to remove the show from there, so thanks a bunch guys, appreciate it. I totally disagreed with the whole hashtag defund the BBC thing until this happened, but now I'm fully on board with that and I hereby encourage you to send dog shit through the mail to any surviving relatives of Lord Wreath. It'll hopefully come back to the iPlayer at some point, and Creek does come and go it seems from Netflix as well, although I should warn you that Netflix has a nasty habit of hacking scenes out of episodes to make them fit into specific running times, so just beware. It may be to get the full, unblemished Creek experience, you'll need to either dig out the DVDs or find streams of the show elsewhere online. And yes, that is me openly advocating the illegal garnering of entertainment through non-official providers. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, you, you can't see me right now, but I'm shaking my head in a very sorrowful manner. And I'm also shaking my fist in your direction. Not that way. No Trace of Tracy first aired on Saturday 31st of May 1997 on BBC One. Amiable Antipodean man, please do the honours. Episode Synopsis 70s prog rock heroes Edwin Drood take to the Reading Rock Festival stage in 1979, led by enigmatic, unruly, electric, violin-wielding Roy Pilgrim. The video of this timeless performance is watched by teenage fan Tracy Cook, who's beyond excited at the fact that Roy, despite now being about 50, has invited her to his house to visit. Much to her vexed mother's chagrin, she gets into her best garb and heads off. Roy is out jogging, having taken two of the world's smallest dumbbells with him. He arrives home to unexpectedly find his French windows open, and cautiously steps inside into what's known as his white room. He notices a safe has been opened and, as he checks to see whether anything's missing, is smacked over the head by someone with one of the tiny dumbbells, rendering him unconscious. He awakes a bit later to find himself handcuffed to a radiator, and sits there for umpteen hours bored shitless. The highlight, in terms of excitement, is when a small frog briefly hops in and then back out of the French windows. Tracy gets off her train, walks to Roy's house, and is seen entering the French windows by a group of randy schoolboys. 
The next morning, Roy's curly-haired fiancée Francine arrives at the house to be confronted by police. They all head inside and find Roy still handcuffed up. Having gone through such an ordeal, he can't believe that the main thing on the police and Francine's minds is getting up in his grill about his teenage visitor, whom he wholeheartedly denies having even seen. He swears she did not come in the French windows, despite the schoolboy witnesses saying that she did. Meanwhile, Jonathan and Maddie are on a car treasure hunt with her pals Sheena and Greg. Jonathan is of course annoyingly good at solving all the clues in milliseconds. En route to the next stop, they're almost run off the road by an erratically driving Francine. At the pub a bit later, the four of them watch on from a beer garden as Francine argues with Roy outside her house, reaching a crescendo when she throws her engagement ring away. Jonathan, as we could probably have guessed, is a massive prog rock fan and recognises Roy. Unable to resist a potential new story, Maddie wheedles her way into Roy's house and finds out more. He totally denies any knowledge of the missing Tracy, let alone having contacted her or seen her. Maddie finds a mysterious note on her windscreen that proclaims Roy's innocence, left by the residents of a cult called the Creed of Eden, based at nearby Hogsbelly Farm. Jonathan knows all about them, their weird way of life, and their connection to Edwin Drood, and he explains it all to her. The pair of them head to see Roy and tell him that they are the only people who can help him, which is a bit of a big conclusion, but anyway. He shows them the white room, where he was handcuffed and Jonathan notices that a fancy pair of speakers on either side of the door appear to have been switched around recently. Jonathan and Maddie then head to meet the strange crew up at Hogsbelly Farm. Toby Flowers, great first name, weird surname, introduces them to his aunt Polly and uncle Jacob, who appear quite high up in the cult hierarchy. They say some weird shit about some weird shit and end up offering Jonathan and Maddie a place on an ark when the reckoning arrives. Like I said, bunch of weirdos. Maddie goes to see Roy's former bandmates to dig for more information and or dirt. After ex-guitarist Glenn causes a massive rumpus in the studio by replacing his entire band without informing them first, he tells Maddie about his annoyance at how Roy got most of Edwin Drood's money. Meanwhile, back at Hogsbelly Farm, Toby Flowers is found dead with a frog stuck down his throat. Tough cheese, old boy. Maddie meets another of Roy's ex-bandmates, Martin Crowe, who's nowadays a really shitty ventriloquist. He alludes to the fact that, back in the day at least, Roy really liked younger groupies. This gives Maddie food for thought vis-a-vis whether he might in fact have done something with Tracy Cook after all. At the windmill, Jonathan's surprised to find Sheena at his door. Inside, she helps herself to Sherry, which presumably an old granny must have left there at some point, and tries to pick his brain about illusions, magic and the solution to the Roy Pilgrim mystery. She's also, evidently, very enamoured with him. Jonathan, not Roy. Maddie phones Jonathan the next morning and is now convinced that Roy did it. However, Jonathan has come to the opposite conclusion, having found something interesting on page 197 of the Observer's Book of Frogs. They head back to Roy's house. He's been arrested, and Jacob and Polly Flowers are knocking around the place protesting about it. Everyone ends back up in the white room, for some reason standing in a weird formation as if they're on a rugby field recreating the All Blacks hacker. Maddie and Jonathan reveal what actually happened in there. 
It turns out that Jacob, Polly and the rest of their eccentric group of crackpots engineered the whole affair. They figured that incriminating Roy for something would make Francine dump him and move on, thus freeing up him to spend his money on other things like their weird Creed of Eden cult. It was they who smacked Roy over the head with his own dumbbell, leaving him unconscious. They then moved him into an exact replica of the white room that they'd built at their farm, fitted up with the original speakers which they couldn't duplicate. They'd previously found Tracy's details in Roy's fan mail and invited her round to the house, and when she turned up, she was kidnapped and hidden away someplace. Later on, when Roy fell asleep, he was given the old chloroformed cloth treatment, which, despite repeated efforts, I can tell you does not really work, and he was moved back to the original room along with the speakers. Jonathan points towards the Ansazi river toad in his book, famous for its narcotic secretions, which the cult enjoy partaking in by sucking on. If the frogs are being bred on Hogsbelly Farm, how did one end up at Roy's place, 15 miles away, and hop in through his French windows? The police turn over Hogsbelly Farm and find Tracy hidden away in the weird ark thing. The episode ends with Maddie driving Jonathan to the train station. She's in a bad mood because she thinks he and Sheena slept together the previous evening. She pretends it doesn't bother her, but when he confirms it didn't happen and then gets out of the car, she is clearly delighted, drives off into the distance, listening to Percy Sledge. Episode Analysis There we go then, the penultimate episode of Series 1. Much like the reconstituted corpse last time out, we have a crime here with an obvious suspect who wholeheartedly denies having done it. And on this occasion, Roy was actually innocent. He told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the goddamn truth. As with each of the preceding three episodes, the solution to this mystery was physically feasible, but so left field it would just never cross the mind of someone with a regular brain. The replica room was implausible, but not impossible, to paraphrase something Jonathan said before. I think when I first watched this way back when, I just assumed that maybe Roy's house was symmetrical and had identical French doors round the other side or something like that. Shows you what I know. Last time out, we had a potential love interest for Maddie, Shelford the Chump, which obviously didn't work out very well. Jonathan showed no perceptible signs of jealousy there, but in this episode where he had potentially something going on with Sheena, Maddie was clearly green-eyed and raging about that, and the relief in her voice and on her face was palpable when she found out nothing had happened, and I'll guess we just need to wait and see if things develop further between the pair of them next time. Roy was played by Ralph Brown, most famous to me at least for his role as the hilarious Del Preston in Wayne's World 2. I really enjoyed the sartorial decision by the wardrobe department to pair Roy's baggy grey suit with trainers. Very snazzy. His character was an understated, calm man compared to the expectation you'd have of a wild rocker. I wonder if it was maybe modelled on someone like Alice Cooper. As ever, there were some really enjoyable comical lines across the episode. Jacob ending a discussion about getting intimate with forestry by asking Jonathan whether he'd ever been up an oak tree. In a few episodes there have been gags where someone is cut off before finishing a sentence and we're left to 
fill in the blank and I really enjoyed Jonathan refuting the idea he'd slept with Sheena by saying, so if I said I'd rather poke red hot needles down my fingernails than poke she... Unlike many TV shows, Jonathan Creek does not rely on smoking hot or hunky characters. And in this episode, the script openly mocked the well-built Greg, making him out to be a complete thicko. Jonathan remarking his IQ and his brass eyes were similar in size was a real highlight, I thought. One or two somewhat questionable issues did arise. The solution of a complete replica of Roy's room was fun, but in reality that would be nearly impossible to pull off, I think. There would have been some detail somewhere that would have tipped him off like a stain on the carpet or the wall or something. Outside at Hogsbelly Farm, they would have had to remain completely silent for the whole time he was there as well, if it was to work. The reason behind the whole ruse seemed a bit extreme as well. Getting Roy arrested for kidnapping a young girl so that his fiancée would leave him. Surely there's a less risky way to do something instead, maybe convince her he was cheating or something like that? Poor Tracy. At least she wasn't murdered and fed to the pigs on the farm, I suppose. Anyway, time to move things along as we chug down the tracks towards... The Celebration of Location Information Station. Much of this episode was filmed in Suffolk, a county on the east side of England. The scene where Jonathan, Maddie, Sheena and Greg are sitting in a beer garden watching Francine go mental at Roy over the road was shot at a pub called the Bell Inn in the village of Middleton. There's no mention whatsoever of Jonathan Creek on the pub's website, and I think someone really needs to give the landlord there a crash course in marketing and promotion. For example, they could start serving huge glasses of beer called the Maddie McGallan, or maybe put Creek and potato soup on the menu, something like that. When the gang were on the car treasure hunt and stopped, with Jonathan working out the answer they needed in about 2.5 seconds, that was filmed on the high street in the village of Wangford in Suffolk. Interestingly, the actor who played Glenn, the guy who sacked and replaced his entire band in the studio, he was born in Wangford and goes by the stage name of Hank Wangford. Now, not only is that ripe for spoonerising, but we can only assume that way back when he decided to use that stage name, Wang hadn't yet become a synonym for penis. And finally, the train station, where Maddie dropped Jonathan off at the end of the episode, is Brampton on the East Suffolk line. Kind of looked more like a level crossing where the train just stops rather than a big station. But please note, this is really important, that it is a request stop. So when you do your grand tour of Jonathan Creek locations across the country, Remember to press the button or pull the lever or whatever you do to stop the train at a request stop. Otherwise, you're going to miss out, which would be a tragedy. Creek Connections At 11 minutes 17 seconds, when the treasure hunting gang are sitting outside the pub, we see that its beer is supplied by a company called Adnam's Ales. Adnam's Ales is based in Southwold in Suffolk, where George Orwell lived as a teenager. George Orwell wrote his classic The Road to Wigan Pier in 1937, 
If he wanted to travel to Wigan from his home in London, given the fact motorways hadn't yet been built, it's feasible that at least part of his journey may have been on the A41 road. The A41 passes next to the small village of Kings Langley in Hertfordshire, where King Richard II of England is buried. He died at Pontefract Castle in 1400. A successful son of Pontefract is actor Toby Kebble, who voices Koba in the Planet of the Apes reboot. Koba, the series' primary antagonist, is a bonobo, the pygmy chimpanzee. Bonobos are found only in the Democratic Republic of Congo where, on the 8th of July 2011, 74 people died in a plane crash at Kisangani Bangoka International Airport. The aircraft that crashed was a Boeing 727, a specially adapted version of which was the type used to simulate a space trip off the coast of Florida in 2007. This allowed passengers to experience weightlessness, and one of the passengers was scientist Professor Stephen Hawking, an alumnus of Trinity Hall at Cambridge University. In 1991, Trinity Hall elected, as a fellow of that college, humanitarian and author Terry Waite, who, when in Lebanon trying to secure the release of hostages in 1987, was captured himself and held captive for four years. Famously, for some or all of that period, he was handcuffed to a radiator. Just as the unlucky Roy Pilgrim was in No Trace of Tracy. Christ alive, talk about spooky. I, I can't put into words the eerie feeling that's coursing through me right now. I'm scared to even think about what this all means. As Victor Meldrew might say if someone phoned him up to tell him about this. 4291! Another Creek connection next time. Get your Creek on. What else was going on in the world on the day this episode aired, you didn't ask? Well, 31st of May 1997 saw actor Clint Eastwood turn 67, actress Susie Essman, best known for playing Susie Green in Curb Your Enthusiasm, was 44, and John Bonham, the Led Zeppelin drummer, would have turned 51, were it not for the fact he'd died 17 years earlier, choking on his own vomit while sleeping having allegedly consumed 40 shots of vodka in the previous 24 hours. What a lightweight. The aforementioned radiator-fused hostage negotiator Terry Waite turned 58, unreal coincidence after what we heard in Creek Connections, and Latin music star Tito Puente, whom you may recall from the classic Simpsons episodes Who Shot Mr Burns, was celebrating having exactly three years left to live. He died on May 31st, 2000. And it was World No Tobacco Day. I think that is the same thing as World No Smoking Day, but I cannot really be bothered checking. 
all of those facts are interesting to varying degrees, but frankly nowhere near as great as the content I found myself devouring in the just published June edition of British Railway Modelling magazine. The contents page outlines a cornucopia of tantalising articles within, including a roundup of the award winners at the Railway Circle's 40th anniversary exhibition, and a visit to Farnham and District Model Railway Club by the Mayor of Basingstoke, who got in on the spirit of things by gluing some model trees onto a scale model of Basingstoke Station. My favourite article, though, was a detailed feature on the model railway created by magazine subscriber Graham Wilson, which was accompanied by numerous photographs of his magnum opus. It's a fictional railway and station called Little Swefling, set in East Norfolk. Mr Wilson had intended to set it in his home county of Devon, but, quote, increasingly found my attention drawn towards the railways of East Anglia. The real-life village of Swefling is less than eight miles from Middleton, where Maddie and Jonathan were at the pub in No Trace of Tracy, which is really spooky. Mr Wilson claims that he wrote the article due to much arm-twisting from my wife and friends. I finally now capitulated and put pen to paper. Much arm-twisting, yeah right. Wife, yeah right. He's a practical man, Mr Wilson, uh, very good at planning ahead. The baseboards of the model were made to fit in my Nissan Micra. They are therefore 42 inches long by 18 inches wide. This makes a total scenic board length of 14 feet, plus a total fiddle yard length of 4 foot 6. Good thinking there sir, there's nothing worse than an incorrectly shaped fiddle yard. He then goes on pretty interminably about how he creates the track bed of his railways. It's all to do with gluing mounting card onto chipboard and sticking greaseproof paper over that. And if you want to hear the full explanation, I've decided to make this a special feature for Patreon subscribers. It's a three and three quarter hour feature, and you can access it for just £75 per month. See the website for details. In case you were wondering, which you probably were not, the electronics of Mr Wilson's model used a 16 volt AC output. And at the time of writing, he'd just acquired a new locomotive. Hudswell Clark 440T. Wow, what a purchase. If you're interested in seeing the little Swefling model railway, just transport yourself back to 1997 and head down to one of the three exhibitions Mr Wilson's taking it along to. At Southwold in August, that's Southwold where Adnams Ailes is based and George Orwell once lived, Hoddesdon in September and Colchester in October. Only an idiot would miss any of these. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. The next one up is The House of Monkeys, and that's the final episode of Series 1 of Jonathan Creek. The pod will take a short break before Series 2. I know it doesn't sound anything like it, but these episodes actually take quite a while to pull together, and to maintain the outstandingly high standards you've quickly become accustomed to, we don't want to rush anything. I'd like to make a heartfelt apology at this point for inadvertently using the word season instead of series in this wrap-up section last time round. I feel really quite dreadful about this and I'm very ashamed, but hopefully it won't happen again. Please do keep telling anyone you think might be interested about the show to check it out. 
or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get this damn thing. You can contact the show if you wish. You can email getyourcreekon at gmail.com. There's a Twitter handle that is at creekget. And you can help cover the gigantic production costs of the show by contributing the meagre cost of a coffee. Just head to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash getyourcreekon. That's us for today then. Enjoy doing whatever you're up to between now and the magical moment when you can press play on episode 5. I'm Toby and I will catch you later. Bye now.